Today's show is sponsored by CloudZero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well as we uh, continue to move into September of uh, 2022. Kind of the fall is is here, starting to see some leaves uh, change colors, fall off the trees, and the craziness and chaos of uh, college football season is uh, well underway and under under swing and under chaos and uh, lots of upsets here uh, here in the United States. But I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, you know, today I want to talk a little bit about you know the. Uh, as we do a Sunday perspective show, I want to kind of get back to to the form that uh, we did earlier in the year and last year that people liked quite a bit, which was sort of um, you know we'd, we'd find the intersection of a couple of of interesting articles uh, from the week or from the last couple of weeks and uh, kind of draw some lines between them, right? Pull some threads between them. Um, and the ones this week that were interesting to me uh, were really around uh, kind of the the rise and fall, or really the fall of uh, of a number of companies and individuals that uh, you know were you know, big, big heroes, big superstars, big rock stars over the last few years, last decade, decade plus, um, you know, people that uh, wrote books about their success and others wrote about their success and um, people emulated them and companies emulated them. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see, you know, what, what often happens in our industry is, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of hero worshiping and then, uh, you know, when things go bad, uh, we do, uh, we, you know, we write very, very detailed, uh, essays about uh, why they failed and then hopefully try and learn some things from it. So, uh, I thought I would take a couple of interesting stories that I found, uh, out there this week and, uh, kind of weave, uh, you know, weave some threads between those things, but really kind of get into, um, kind of the stage that we're going to probably run into here in a little bit, uh, within our industry where some of the hero worshiping that we've done over the last five, six, seven years, um, you know, starts to crumble a little bit. Um, it's it's very very difficult to be a disruptor. Um, we tend to uh, celebrate the ones who figure out some way to disrupt the bigger ones. The, the sort of classic David versus Goliath story. Uh, but at some point, a lot of times uh, those stories fail, even for the ones who you know go from uh, uh, David to Goliath and become the the biggest one. Uh, oftentimes they they start to fail when uh, when other Goliaths or even other Davids come along. So we're going to dig into that after the break. Buffering. How annoying. Did you know that 17 out of 20 people stop watching a video because of stalling and rebuffering? Don't let your users click away to a competitor's site. If your business lies in online media, rely on CDN 77 to deliver a seamless online experience to your audience. CDN 77 is one of the leading global providers of content delivery network services. They power the world's most popular websites and apps such as Udemy, ESL Gaming, Live Sports TV, and social media platforms. Aside from their massive and redundant global network, 
You're going to love their no BS attitude and skilled team of engineers ready to help 24-7. No chatbots, no tickets bouncing around unresolved for days, just people who know your use case and can immediately help you pinpoint and fix the problems. Don't wait until your users run out of patience. Go to cdn77.com slash cloudcast and ask for a free trial with no duration or traffic limits. That's cdn77.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to dig a little bit into uh, in the beginning of some stories that we're seeing, um, you know, as the economy shifts and, and more importantly, just kind of like we come out of the pandemic, uh, some sort of the craziness that happened in the pandemic, but even just things that happened over the last five, six years um, in terms of, of raising the visibility of, of certain individuals, certain companies, certain segments of the industry, Um and you know, and we're now seeing some some changes in those. We're seeing some some falls from historic highs. We're seeing some uh, you know culture stories starting to fall apart when uh, the economics of what built them uh, start to change and so forth. So uh, you know, when when things are good, uh, when when interest rates are low, when stock prices are up, VC money is flowing. Um, you know, we see a lot of stories written about disruptors, and we see. Um, a lot of hero worshiping and a lot of excitement around these these great minds that figured out how to do stuff and and then when uh, you know when those things change when when the economy changes interest rates go up your stock price is not uh, as appealing as a, a way of offsetting um, salary or, or creating great wealth for your investors or for your workers or uh, you know being able to create really interesting um, cultures in which you can take you know infinite amounts of risk without really worrying about um, how you went and built that risk uh, you know we start to see. Uh, stories written about uh, kind of how those things crumble down. And, you know, what I kind of wanted to do was not, um, you know, sort of live on either side of that. I, you know, I know we we spent a lot of time in the show um, kind of highlighting new technologies and trying to be, you know, fairly good at, at picking some of the areas to, to talk about that we think probably will be successful. Um, you know, we've got a, a decent track record of that, not a, not a perfect track record as, as anybody in technology. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to predict the future a little bit. Um, but I think, Especially now, and, and again, I feel like the last bunch of, of Sunday Perspective shows are really, you know, kind of geared at those folks who haven't lived through uh, a couple of these sort of up cycles and down cycles in technology. Um, so if you've lived through them a few times, sometimes you, you've seen the writing on the wall. Hopefully, you've, you know, if, if you have uh, lived through them, um, you know, you start to see patterns develop. But if you're new to this and you've only, you know, really been in the tech industry for say the last ten years or so, um, you know, seeing seeing the first sort of downturn like we're seeing now. Um, and this downturn isn't nearly like the last couple. Um, you know, we, you know, the, I always go back to like 01 and 08 and uh, obviously the pandemic had all sorts of, of crazy things, but tech didn't necessarily fall right away with the pandemic. It's tended to, to sort of normalize itself back um, here post pandemic. But I think it's really important as you're, as you're looking at things and you're, and you're studying the industry and it is important to study the industry. Um, it's, it's important to match the era of disruption that we're in with the economic era that we're in. And, you know, we've talked about this a bunch of times on the show, but like a lot of times with disruption, what happens is um, it it really begins to happen um, somewhat out of necessity. Um, you know, people are looking for a better mousetrap, if you will. But a lot of times it happens when, uh, you know, the economy has gone through some tough times and, uh, you know, the economic environment, you know, lower interest rates, cheaper availability of money, more money available in the system, um, such that ideas that you know, may sound a little bit crazy on the surface or really crazy on the surface, you know, people are okay with investing in. People are okay with taking a chance on it because, you know, the amount of risk it seems like they're taking um, don't seem that big, right? Or, you know, sometimes we just go through some technological changes, some, some you know, beginning of, a, of a, an era, end of an era type of thing. 
So it's, I think it's really important as we as we look at disruption, as we look at sort of the trends in technology, to to sort of keep in mind like where are we kind of on the economic uh, ends of things, right? And what we tend to see is we tend to see uh, the big disruption again when uh, when the economy is not necessarily when it's good, but when when interest rates are low, so the availability of, of money is there. Um, what feels like the risk of failure is not necessarily as high, and we're not necessarily in that era again now, right? Like interest rates are up a little bit. Um, trust me, they're not up significantly. Uh, you know, when I go back to various stages, I mean, let's say your interest rates or your you know housing rates, for example, are like five percent or six percent, like. Uh, you know, it's not unusual to talk to people who 10, 15 years ago, they were 15%, 12%, 11%, right? So, you know, we're in sort of an in-between time right now. Um, but, you know, the second thing is we're going to start to see a lot of stories be written about, um, and we've seen them somewhat, right? But like we saw, you know, massive growth, for example, say during the pandemic uh, of of tech companies, right? So we saw companies like Zoom, you know, ridiculous valuations. We saw Amazon going through the roof because everybody was buying stuff from home. We saw Netflix grow like crazy because everybody was watching Tiger King or, you know, whatever was, you know, or they were watching Ozark or, you know, like grew like crazy. And we're seeing a lot of those things come back to earth. Um, in some cases, you know, they're kind of coming back to some sort of, you know, sort of normalized 2019 state like Amazon and so forth. Others, uh, like a Netflix or whatever, um, we're starting to see, you know, them, you know, the, the, the cracks in the armor of the things that help them build their growth, right? You know, it's, it's, it's important to sort of be able to kind of look through these things and figure out like, was, you know, did they do a lot of things to create growth which weren't sustainable, um, right? In the case of, uh, you know, like somebody like Netflix, and there's a really good article that, that I'll post in the show notes talks about the things that Netflix was doing. And I know, you know, if we look back at, at where Netflix was doing, right, on one hand, um, you know, they're growing like crazy. They were essentially creating what the streaming market looked like. And and, and they were sort of the, the lighthouse of what things look like. But then they started doing some crazy things, right? They were paying exorbitant amounts of money uh, for um, for new shows, right? They were, they were buying up, uh, you know, every new idea, whether it was a good, bad, or indifferent idea, um, in order to always have new stuff, right? They were, they were going to be the thing that had new because again, you know, they decided that they didn't want to be the carrier of other people's content. And in some cases, um, other people that had content, say like a Disney or friends or whatever it was, was, was pulling those things off of it because they wanted to start their own thing. So, um, they did some, they did some crazy things to get there. Um, you know, they had a culture in which, um, you know, they talked about, Hey, we, we pay the highest in the industry and, and that's great. Um, a lot of companies have gone through that where they're like, look, what I'm trying to do is, is really challenging and I want to have the best people and I don't have time for learning curves and I don't have time for internal mentoring and all those sort of things. Um, you know, but at some point, whether you're Netflix or some other company, it's really hard to sustain those things. And so I think, you know, we're, we're into an era where um, <clears throat> we're going to see a lot of stories of the companies who, you know, wrote culture manifestos. Um, and, and there are dozens of them out there. Netflix is sort of the most well-known, but there's plenty of companies where, you know, others would sort of look at that and go, boy, you know, we, we would love to emulate what they do, but we just can't do that. Like we either can't recruit that kind of talent or we can't pay for that kind of talent, or, you know, we can't have these sort of completely decentralized decision-making models in which there's no accountability and, and other types of things. And again, I'm not pointing fingers at NetApp, but like we've seen a lot of these sort of cultures float around in which, you know, if you looked at it and you just applied sort of normal business school logic or just normal logic, sort of your basic accounting and pro, you know, P and L kind of things. You went, 
how in the world is that going to work? How is that going to sustain itself? And we've seen these things happen over and over again. I've seen them you know, dozens of times in my career. But we're going to see a lot of stories written about that, about these companies who were high flyers, who were disruptors. We've already seen this with Uber and WeWork and Netflix and and lots of others where, you know, their ability to have grown was, you know, partially on a really new novel idea and a disruptive idea, but the economics never made any sense and the economics are now sort of catching up to them, right? Uh, we're going to see a lot of fraud get called out and, you know, you're going to learn a lot about uh, how to how to identify fraud, the red flags around fraud, um, about what's fraud versus what's just sort of, uh, you know, kind of morally questionable ways of doing business and so forth. Um, and, you know, we're going to see a lot of stories written about culture and how companies are are adapting to culture, right? We've, we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of layoffs in our industry, um, not nearly as much as we've seen in, in other big dips, uh, but we've seen some, you know, unfortunate types of things. And, and hopefully, as we've mentioned before, all of you are, are trying to help and reach out uh, to people in your industry and, and, and trying to help where you can or, or make connections where you can. Um, but we're going to see a lot less stories about kind of the, the greatness of culture. And, and it doesn't mean that company culture isn't important, but we're going to see a lot more stories in which kind of what sometimes would feel like the frivolity of, of certain cultures is going to get trumped by the, you know, the profitability of certain cultures, right? The ability to sustain and to grow, not, you know, out of control, but to grow in ways that are profitable and so forth. So we're going to see a lot of our articles and stories written about those sort of things. Um, you know, the next thing we're going to see is we're going to see uh, a lot of ecosystems of the largest companies uh, start to wonder if they're still making the right choices about which ecosystems they're aligned to, right? And and we've seen this with some of the cloud companies. We've seen this with, you know, different segments of the industry in which, you know, what happens when things are great is everybody wants to partner. There seems like enough pie for everybody. The pies get bigger and and, and so forth. But when things get a little bit slower or the economics of things change, um, you know, what tends to happen is the largest incumbents basically kind of go, uh, how can I eat my my um, my ecosystem? How can I add more capabilities such that people have um, less choices they have to make? So the companies that they work with, their customers they work with, can come to them as sort of one-stop shop for a lot of things. And so you'll see some real big changes um, in ecosystems in which companies who, you know, decide, hey, you know, how all in do we want to be with a certain, you know, largest player in the industry? And again, I'm not calling out anyone in particular. We're going to see this kind of across a lot of things, but um, companies start to wonder, you know, should I should I diversify what e- ecosystem I'm in? Should we, you know, it, are we going to get eaten by the largest member of our ecosystem? Do we need to defend ourselves against that? Do we need to, you know, start getting into other segments of of markets that are going to make things more defensible? So we're going to see some of that as well. Um, and the last thing that we see a lot of uh, when this thing happens is. You know, when when times are really good and there's low interest rates and lots of VC money flowing into things, and um, we see a lot of technologies come out. Uh, you know, the, the the CNCF is a perfect example of that. And I'm not trying to to you know call call out the CNCF, but I mean, for example, if you look at the the CNCF landscape and you think about, well, the CNCF started with just Kubernetes, and you go look at the landscape of the CNCF today, uh, or you just look at all the sandbox innovation projects, like there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. And and I think what we're going to, you know, and, and when every one of those companies is getting, or every one of those projects and the lead company for that is getting, you know, $100 million in funding and a billion dollar valuation or a $5 billion valuation or whatever, you sort of go, 
huh, how is that going to sustain itself? And again, not calling out any one industry, you know, one technology, one company, one segment of it, but it, it is, it is hard, you know, when there's, you know, there's, there's not going to be seven companies that are all great at, you know, container security, for example. Um, they're not all going to have $5 billion valuations. And that's just a hypothetical. Don't, you know, don't read anything into that. Um, you know, so we're going to see a lot more, um, you know, kind of good technologies, uh, you know, lots of technologies happen when times are good, you know, what quote unquote good meaning like sort of free, free flowing money in our industry. Um, when things get a little bit tighter and the valuations get a little bit tighter and the amount of money that flows in the system gets tighter, there will still be lots of good technologies. Our industry never, um, never struggles with people that are innovative and are willing to come up with new ideas and are able to come up with new ideas and, and solve new problems. But they're also not necessarily going to, they're going to have to build them as more sustainable businesses. And that's just what happens when we have these sort of downturns is, you know, you find out people who not only can uh, build interesting technologies, but build uh, sustainable businesses and, and businesses that might have to be around for five years or seven years before some sort of exit happens for them, whether that's an IPO or they get sold or they, you know, start getting big enough to acquire companies or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I, I highlight a lot of these things just because, um, you know, you're going to start seeing more and more of these kind of stories or people dig into, you know, we love, we love winners, but, but the media also loves losers, right? And, you know, the stuff in between doesn't always get as much coverage, but, but winners and losers tend to. So we like watching the rocket ships go up. And unfortunately, we like watching sometimes things crash as well. Um, and I think you're going to start to see more and more of these things kind of get uncovered. And again, don't take this as is a terrible thing. It's the natural sort of ebb and flow of, of technology. It's the natural ebb and flow of our industry. Um, and it's sort of good to watch because it teaches you how to look for red flags. It teaches you how to look for the things that are really good and pragmatic and stable and, and you know, buildable and, um, you know, which things are really sort of innovative new ideas, right? Like they change the economics of something or they really change the power dynamics of what's going on or they really, you know, 10x some area of technology versus the ones that are just sort of shiny and new and not really differentiated and, um, and things along those lines. So anyways, um, definitely an area where we're kind of moving into, um, you know, I'm calling this, you know, when the, when the smart guys get it wrong, uh, we have a tendency to, like I said, sort of hero worship and, and make a lot of people out to be the smartest guy in the room. Um, sometimes they are, but in a lot of cases, um, they are maybe because of the, the dynamics of the era that they're in, the year that they're in, the, the timing that they're in. So um, it's always a good opportunity to sort of, you know, step back, learn a little bit, not only about the technology, but also almost as importantly, and maybe more importantly, kind of the economic times that we're in and, uh, you know, how it's possible to to monetize technology, to, to, to grow, create companies, to figure out which companies might be around. Um, you know, are they, are they built on good, solid foundation or are they built on uh, sort of sand and shifting stones and stuff like that. So anyways, um, lots going on in our industry. Um, an interesting time. Uh, really excited about uh, the fall coming up and all the trade shows coming up and hopefully maybe seeing some people in person. I know myself, I'll be at uh, KubeCon and AWS reInvent. I think Aaron's going to be at both those as well. So maybe we'll try and do some uh, some live uh, in-person get-togethers for, for Cloudcast people if uh, if people are interested in that. So if you're, if you're going to KubeCon, I know Aaron and I will both be there in Detroit. Um, hit us up. Let us know if you're going. Um, maybe we'll try and uh, find some place to, to have some drinks or get together on the show floor or something along those lines. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope your college football team is winning or not embarrassing themselves. And 
With that, I'll uh, talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 